wrong with being white middle class. Let me just say that, you know, that's fine. But I think the reality is, you're right. Users of technology are from all sorts of walks of life, and there's no reason why they shouldn't be in the process of developing that technology. But, you know, there's lots of things. I think there's a marketing problem that tech had. For years, people felt that you had to be in Silicon Valley and look like Bill Gates and Mark Zuckerberg to found a tech business. And you don't. Fundamentally, every business wants to hire the best people. And if we take this view that actually you can be talented and capable regardless of your background and where you come from or what you look like, then businesses are just losing out on really good people because they're not making the requisite effort to get them. From the first-time founders to the funds that back them, innovation needs different. Our episode partner, HSBC Innovation Banking, is proud to accelerate growth for tech and life science businesses, creating meaningful connections and opening up a world of opportunity for entrepreneurs and investors alike. Discover more at www.hsbcinnovationbanking.com en-gb. Hello and welcome back to the UKTN podcast, the destination for all things UK tech related. I am your host, Jane Wakefield, and over the next 12 weeks, we have an exciting lineup of guests for you, from founders of tech startups to big names at the heart of the tech industry. And together, we will be discussing the key themes of the day, from government policy to innovative ideas, as well as tackling some of the biggest issues facing tech. And we are kicking off this season at the start of Black History Month, with a deep dive into why the tech industry lacks diversity. Joining me for that conversation is Ashley Ainsley, the co-founder of colorintech.org and Black Tech Fest. Welcome, Ashley. Hey, thank you for having me. So before we get into the nitty gritty of color in tech and the issues around uh, diversity, let's start off by talking a bit about your background. What was your journey to tech? So the story basically starts actually where I grew up. So I grew up in South East London, a place called Lewisham, one of the most diverse parts of kind of the country, really. And yeah, I remember I was doing my homework. You know, this is back when I'm, I'm old enough, I'm 30, but I'm old enough to remember when there was still dial-up. So I had to take the, take the plug out in order to get on the internet. So I had an hour a day basically to do my homework. And I discovered Wikipedia. And that reduced my time on doing my homework from like 15 minutes down to 10. And therefore, I was able to spend more time on the internet gaming. I wasn't well off. I, didn't, I wasn't able to afford to like travel a lot when I was younger. So um, I remember when Google came out with Google Earth. And I was like, that is super cool. I don't know what it is, but I want to do that. I didn't know what you know, tech was. Or I didn't even know Google were in the UK at that point. But anyway, fast forward, I went to Oxford University. I managed to get myself in. It was the only black Caribbean boy to go in that year. It was an experience. And I went from probably one of the most diverse parts of the world to one of the least in probably about 60 miles. But during that, I, I, was, I, I was always still interested in the, the, the interface between technology and what I studied at my undergrad, which was geography. So literally writing, doing Google Maps as my dissertation. And long story short, I got introduced to some people who told me that Google were actually hiring and doing internships in London. And again, I didn't know about that. And, and again, sad story is effectively, unless people tell you, sometimes you don't know these things. But long story short, got an interview there because they asked you what was your favorite product and I could tell them about Google Earth. Did my interview, knew more about Google Maps than the people interviewing me. Um, and I got a role. And therefore, I started to work in technology, got my role at Google. It was an amazing time. I had a great fun. But I remember reflecting on the industry and thinking that actually it felt more like Oxford than Newsham. I didn't want people who knew me to be WhatsApping me, be like, can you refer a job? Like, I wanted to be able to help these people, but not because they knew me. I just wanted them to have the same opportunities as me. So... 
fast forward, that's basically where the, the idea for Colour in Tech came from. It's like, how do we help people get access to the opportunities that I had? And that, that point you make, that the tech industry is more Oxford than Lewisham, why do you yeah. think that is? Because it doesn't really make a lot of sense, does it, that an industry that's young and diverse and disruptive is dominated by white, probably middle middle class people? Yeah, I mean... You know, and there's nothing wrong with being white middle class. Let me just say that, you know, that's fine. But I think the reality is, you're right, users of technology are from all sorts of walks of life and there's no reason why they shouldn't be in the process of developing that technology. And that's, you know, that's that's a factor. I mean, I went to a startup after I was working in big tech and I thought, oh, great, it's, it's far, you know, it's far closer to the ground. Anyone can set up a business, so it's going to be more diverse. But the reality is, you know, when you're setting up a business, it's like, right, who have I worked with before? Who do I know that I can bring in? Who's that person's friend who they can refer and can start? And effectively, a lot of organizations just start off with that kind of that referral mechanism. And they get to kind of around 20, 30 people before they kind of think, oh, actually, maybe we should look outside of our own social circles. And at that point, it's really hard to do things about it because you started to embed a culture. You started to have your leadership team and your middle management established. And it's really hard to actually think about how do I go and reach out to new people. But that's how, frankly, a lot of the, the tech companies have started. You know, it's I've got an idea. I'm going to spin this out from people that I've worked with. And we're basically reflecting the industry as it is. And, you know, if you go back, well, you know, as I said, I, I had dial up, you know, I wasn't an early adopter to the internet. I didn't have the, the economic means and privileges to go and spend some time in Silicon Valley and meet some of the founders of, you know, the PayPal mafia, as they call them, or whatever it is these days. So we're just reflecting the path of, of what's happened before. And that's kind of why the industry kind of looks as it is now. And, and we'll come back to that, that idea that businesses tend to hire people that look and sound and probably have the same views as them. But first of all, let's talk about Google, because actually Google has a terrible diversity problem. I think it's the stats I read were that less than 10% of its workforce is black. So what was your time there like in terms of diversity? I mean, were you working with a largely white team? Did you have other people that you that you could relate to? Did you feel that they reflected diversity in the in the way they brought products out? Yeah, well, I, I, I think I'd say the first thing is actually like <laughs> it's an industry issue. So you know, I, you know, I spoke about my time at Google, but you know, I've done work with a lot of the other big tech companies as well. And sadly, it's not just a one industry thing. I think big tech across the board has challenges, and I think I would say to all of them, and I have done, and it's literally my job that they can all do better in this space. So you know, I'm keen not to just say that because to be fair to Google, they're one of the companies that started to do more about it than anybody else earlier on. But you know, my experience, you know, reflecting on that, yeah, like I, I, I didn't see anybody in the office that looked like me. There wasn't anybody who came from the part of town that I came from. There wasn't anyone who had shared effectively my educational experience up until the point I got into Oxford. That was a common thing for a few people there. But going to a state conference in South East London wasn't. And actually, you know, there were millions of people that live in, you know, South East London. So why was that odd for a company that hired loads of people in South East London? But as I said, that wasn't any different to the startup that I worked for, another big tech company that I've, you know, spent time working with. So, you know, from that experience, it was like actually... You know, I affected on that. I was like, well, I had an amazing, you know, female manager. And she's, you know, one of the best people I've ever worked with. But why was that the rarity? Like, do you know what I mean? It's, you know, and we look at that across the FTSE. We look at that across all big tech companies, startups. Why is that still odd? Why is it odd when to see, you know, someone who looks like me be the CEO of a company like Google? Well, why don't we see that? And, you know, those are sorts of things which, you know, I reflect on. So, you know, they're making progress. You know, I'd love them all to make more. 
But I suppose, you know, that's that's my job. I've got to got to convince people to do it. And you're quite right. It's not just a Google problem, but the idea that there isn't diversity in big tech does bring its own problems, doesn't it? Because we've seen these companies are responsible for, for systems that we all rely on. Let's just think about facial recognition for a minute. Google made the headlines in 2015 with the awful story about its facial recognition system tagging two black faces as gorillas. And it wasn't just Google's problem. It was also a problem for Amazon and Microsoft. To the extent that they withdrew these facial recognition systems for use by the police, I mean, what are your thoughts specifically on on facial recognition, which has been an absolute mess, hasn't it, when it comes to diversity and really illustrates the problem, I guess? And I mean, the scary thing is now we see people talk about artificial intelligence with such a blind enthusiasm to evangelise it. (laughs) And, And yet we're not necessarily talking about some of the issues that, you know, we know, as you've just cited, that have existed. And also, what does that mean for civic society? So, yeah, we've seen some of the big tech companies withdraw saying it to, to, you know, law enforcement agencies in the USA because because they cannot guarantee the the accuracy of it. And obviously the mistakes of it are huge in society. And, you know, that disproportionately affects black and ethnic minorities who are disproportionately incarcerated in our society. So, you know, this is why it really matters. And I don't think we're having that level of conversation about what is the impact of this stuff. It's like, oh, great, you know, I can type in a prompt and it can tell me an answer. Or, oh, great, you know, it might be able to help us with policing. But that's only if your data set is able to recognise me as Ashley, as a black person, not a gorilla. And, you know, and, and, and that's what we've seen. And, you know, we don't see the same level of critical dialogue as we do with evangelism. And I know there are some smart people working on this behind the scenes and they don't necessarily get the credit. But there are lots of whistleblowers. You know, at Black Tech Fest last year, we had um, Tim McGebrew, who's who's been, you know, talking about, you know, some of the damages from bad AI practices for, for absolute years. And, you know, she's really worried about it. I should be really worried about it, too. And I think the blind evangelism that we have in some instances or or the willful, the willful almost misleading, of people just to think this is going to solve all of our problems without creating new ones is is quite worrying actually and actually i was talking to a black guy who was a programmer for google and he was saying not only was his pathway a bit like yours not seeing anybody that looked like him and therefore he was very lonely but he worked on some of this facial recognition stuff and said if only they tested it on me they would have known that it didn't work you know it's kind of that simple isn't it i mean you know i think like there's there's a few instances there's a great book called technically wrong um i'd encourage anyone to kind of look at it but it goes through literally about you know 15 different examples of where tech has just not been designed for certain people and actually just think well if there was a wider diversity of people in the room someone would probably say well actually this doesn't work or you know I tried this picture of my family and it didn't recognize them or like do you know what I mean this is the sorts of things that you would just do and naturally think about or you know not think about because it's not your experience you know I don't blame people for not necessarily having the same experience as me I don't blame you for for you know going to x school or having x you know life experience but what I'm saying is that there is a value in what I and other people who have the experiences similar to mine can bring to that. And actually, that's detrimental because we're going to come up with worse products. We're going to come up with cost of society. And ultimately, someone's going to have to sweep up the mess. And it's probably the taxpayer in some instances. <laughs> so it's bad for everybody. HSBC Innovation Banking, our partner for this episode, provides commercial banking services, expertise and insights to the technology, life science and healthcare, private equity and venture capital industries. To find out why innovation needs different, go to www.hsbcinnovationbanking.com slash en-gb.
Exactly. Now, we've talked a lot about the problems. Let's talk about some of the solutions. Um, let's start that discussion by talking about colour in tech. What is it that you're hoping to achieve as an organisation? Yeah, I think we started out by saying, look, there's lots of interesting stuff going on in the USA. And, you know, I always say we started this before it's fashionable. We were doing this from 2016, really. And we didn't see any of the same dialogue or energy or enthusiasm or initiatives or programs or anything happening in Europe. And we're actually like, well, why not? Like, you know, there are great people with fantastic talent that is just not being unlocked ultimately. And the key thing, you talk to any digital business leader right now, they'll tell you skill shortage, skill shortage, skill shortage. Everyone's telling you that war on talent super hard to find. But yeah, we've got amazing graduates who are able to come out and actually do things. And gosh, if we started this when we started, these people would now be five, 10 years in experience and actually be those mid to senior professionals everyone's looking at. Do you know what I mean? If we started then where we should have done. And if we started now, you know, we, we, you know, we'd have a greater talent pool in our sector. And this is something that's, you know, that's affecting ultimately UK PLC. You know, we're seeing, you know, the ARM IPO, they went and did that in the USA. There are going to be instances where companies are thinking, is the UK the best place to be? And if we don't have a great pool of home domestic talent, and it's harder ultimately to, to bring that in through immigration, then people are going to be questioning, is this the place? So for me, it's like, you know, take, take all the, you know, the feel good and whatever about it. It's ultimately about, let's create a wider pipeline for British technology businesses to pick from. And that's great if they come in from diverse backgrounds as well. Let's unlock that economic potential. And that's what, you know, that's what we at Colour in Tech are there to ultimately do. And what does that actually look like then? Because is this a question that you have got plenty of diversity in, say, computer science graduates, but they're not getting the job? Or does the problem start way back in school and that you're just not seeing a diversity of people going into computer science? Well, both is actually the answer. I mean, if I start at the university end of the spectrum, yeah. Like when we looked at the information, we did a freedom of information request. We pulled some information from UCAS and the ONS. And basically, there's effectively a seven percentage point delta between black people who've gone and studied engineering and who then go and work in engineering. So there are about 7% of the workforce who have come out with the adequate qualifications and have decided actually finance or law, or another sector is better for me than staying in STEM and moving into technology. And why? We know these people are interested, they've got the qualifications, they're not getting access to the same opportunities, either because they're not being created or because of the other things that we know that happen, including racism, let's call it that, discrimination, let's call it that, and all the other factors that, you know, cause people to have barriers to getting into tech, like information. And that is a problem. And for me, it's like, well, you know, Actually, if we did something about that, the talent pool would widen significantly. You'd probably add an extra thousand people into the talent pool every year if you solve that problem. So let, let's do that. Like, that's probably a lot easier to address than actually, you know, doing some of the other things. We've got really bright graduates that are literally just not getting into the industry. And then, you know, we can move further back, you know, how far back do we want to go if we want to talk about, you know, why there are less women doing STEM subjects at university, you know, role models undoubtedly will come up. But, you know, there's lots of things. I think there's a marketing problem that tech had. For years, people felt that you had to be in Silicon Valley and look like Bill Gates and Mark Zuckerberg to found a tech business. And you don't. <laughs> but what have we done to brand that, basically? We evangelise the people like, you know, Sam Altman and Elon Musk. And yeah, they're amazing, great people. But why are we not evangelising, you know, other folks is that as well and pr providing that stuff that a wider pool of people can resonate with? And, you know, that is a brand problem as well, frankly, for the tech industry. What about businesses then? What do businesses do to ensure? Because lots of businesses talk up the need for a diverse workforce but they're not necessarily following through on what they're saying. 
what should they be doing? Should they be using positive discrimination? Should they kind of only employ people of colour for a while to kind of even up the balance? What What's the, the solution there? So to be clear, look, I'm not an advocate, you know, at this point in terms of positive discrimination or quotas. You know, I, I don't think that. I think there's a lot that can be done before we need to get to that point. You know, I think that's kind of my, my starting point. I think the first thing is, Take 2023, it's slowed down, it's affected the tech industry, there's been lots of layers and cuts. Well, who was to go and what got cut? And I know firsthand that lots of stuff around diversity and inclusion got cut. So all that effort that these companies have been making in the 2020, 2021 to hire all these amazing people, and it's like last in, first out. You know, they've just got rid of them all. So do you know what I mean? Let's actually think about, like, let, let, let's go back and actually think about, like, what we're doing here. And I'm not saying that cuts didn't need to be made or whatever, you know, that's for individuals to work out. But the first thing we can do is actually have some longevity to our plans and actually think about what are we doing, you know, four, five and ten years. I would love for government policy to actually help companies, whether it be subsidies or tax breaks, to actually do more on that digital skills agenda. That will help disproportionately people from ethnic minority backgrounds in particular, because they they are the ones that typically end up opting out or, or, or getting excluded from certain services. So actually, if we did more to facilitate businesses to be able to do more of that skills and that training, we would end up with a more diverse workforce coming through the bottom. But it's really hard for organisations to do that. It's almost impossible. I run a small business. Like, the idea of taking undergraduate for me is a lot more stress than it feels like it's worse. And part of that is because they're not coming out with the level of skills that we need. And that does disproportionately affect certain groups more than others. So, you know, there, there are a few things like that that I think are super important. But really, it's about companies walking the walk as well. Everybody wants to talk about stuff, but, you know, we really need to make sure that the steps that they've put in progress, you know, aren't the first to be cut when it feels, you know, when it feels like it's gone out of fashion. This is a talent problem. And, you know, for everybody to say, oh, this is feel good, oh, diversity, blah, 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 blah. I understand all that pushback. And what I would say to those people is just think about this as a talent issue. Fundamentally, every business wants to hire the best people. And if we take this view that actually you can be talented and capable regardless of your background and your where you come from or what you look like, then businesses are just losing out on really good people because they're not making the requisite effort to get them. And that's just bad for business fundamentally. Tell me a business that doesn't want great people. So why would you say to a group of people, actually, don't bother apply? Or to a group of people, actually, you know, because your name sounds a bit funny, we might not interview you. Do you know what I mean? Like, let's, let's actually just think about this as a people problem. And by the way, I don't think anyone's name sounds funny. That's just some of the stuff I've heard. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I've heard that too. <laughs> so that's what I think businesses should be doing effectively more and not just cutting it because it looks like it's gone out of fashion. And... There are some initiatives out there that are trying to tackle this problem, aren't there? Have you come across 10,000 black interns, for example? And they're doing amazing work and really great stuff. So for those who are less familiar, 10,000 black interns, exactly what it says on the tin. There are, mm. There's a delta, probably around 10,000 people from black backgrounds who are, are amazing, again, are capable, have gone to fantastic universities, but, you know, because they don't have an auntie who works for this company or because they didn't have a yeah. dad who can tell them how to pass the interview at this, don't necessarily get through that application process in the same way that other people would. And it's encouraging organisations to actually say, well, actually, would you hire some of these folks? And, you know, they might go through the exact same process, but actually, with a little bit of help, they do. And, you know, I personally have taken on some of them and they've been great. And, you know, this is an initiative that's not there to say to 
again, it's not there to be opposed to, oh, I'm a white person, I can't do that. The application process is the same. What this is saying is that disproportionately, we're not having the same number of black people be successful. So what can we do about that? And how do we help those people have the same access to opportunity that otherwise they are not getting? This is about leveling the playing field, not putting one up or the other. You know, for some people, it feels like oppression. Honestly, it's not. This is just what equality feels like. If you feel oppressed, this is actually what equality feels like. Yeah. And you mentioned there, you know, knowing somebody and that's how you get on. And that's so true. That sort of networking. I guess networking is at the heart of the other venture that you're involved in, Black Tech Fest. So tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So it's you, it's biggest of its kind. It's exactly what it says on the tin. We were like, how do we bring together some amazing Black technologists to showcase fundamentally, actually, that they exist. Because we don't necessarily see them. But actually, you know, one of our, our favorite partners, Compare the Market, their chief technology officer is a black woman. Now, people wouldn't have known that. People wouldn't have realized that. But she's actually got some amazing, great stuff to, to talk about. And she will be talking about it at the festival. It's this October. Go to, you know, whatever search engine you like and find it. But the idea is actually, how do we showcase amazing people in our industry doing things that otherwise people wouldn't necessarily know or see or experience? And actually, how do we make it more than like a boring conference? Let's call it a festival. Let's have food there. Let's have music there. Let's celebrate. Let's do the fun things that people want to do as well. Yes, people want to network. So let's bring 5,000 people together. Let's have interesting conversations. But, you know, there's nothing wrong with having some rice and peas and jerk chicken and jolly of life with it too you know there's nothing wrong with having a dj there like people like music why not so you know let's 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 just have a spin on it and actually you know redefine what it feels like to connect over technology and that's that's what it's about so you know even if you're not black i want you to come like you you should see this because actually that's the point we want to showcase people we don't want to be talking an echo chamber we want it to be something which brings the technology industry together and we are so happy we've got people across the industry whether it be the gaming sector people like activision blizzard king whether it be cloud aws are supporting whether it be finance and jp morgan for example whether it be telco and Bree t like deloitte you name it we have a massive range of digitally enabled business and tech natives as well who are doing fantastic things and want to celebrate with us well you've got me i'm certainly keen to come along to a conference that has djs and music and food that sounds amazing now i mentioned at the top of the program that it was the start of black history month anything else that you're going to be getting involved in specifically during that month or just generally kind of thoughts around that no, so the look, there are lots of amazing, great things that are going on. So I obviously will shout out my own Black Tech Fest. Undeniably, it's one of the busiest ones. But, you know, there are organisations that I love that are doing things. So a lot of companies are actually putting on their own events. And I would encourage everybody, again, you know, celebrate with your colleagues. You know, go along, learn, chat, you know, take the opportunity. Like, you know, your, your companies should encourage you to do so. And if they don't, again, ask that question, why not? What This is what inclusion feels like, being invited to the party. Like, do you know what I mean? Come along. That's okay. And we should celebrate that. You know, I know, you know, BYP Network always do a few things. UK Black Business Shows go from strength to strength. And they've got an amazing exhibition of great black businesses that I encourage everybody to have a look at. Add to your supply chains, add to the diversity of stuff. And yeah, there's loads of things going on. So, you know, what I would say to anybody is use this as an occasion to go and do something you wouldn't normally do. There's nothing wrong with going and celebrating black history, black culture, reflecting on that and actually looking at the positive contributions that's made to all of our technology industry. Great to do that at Black Tech Fest. And if not, just make sure you're doing something. Now, you mentioned earlier that you don't really believe in quotas, but obviously everyone puts stats on diversity. The women in tech figure seems 
depressingly not to have changed much in the decades I've been writing about it. In the future, do you have a kind of hope as to a number to get to? You know, what are you thinking in terms of stats for this to improve it? I saw a number, for example, and again, I was going to talk about black women, but that's because I saw the stat. I think it was 0.7% of representation industry, where actually they make up about 1.8% of the workforce. So even if you doubled that, it would still be less of the less than the representation of the of of the general population of the workforce. So that is that just shows you where we've got to go to. So I mean, you know, I don't want to look at absolutes. Let's just look at percentages. Like if I could see something change ten percent year on year, you know, if it's my ISO, I'd love that. So you know, I'd love it also if it was the if it was the stats in the tech industry. You know, I think there's going to be a lot of change in the next five, 10 years because of the the things like AI, which are going to create new businesses, new opportunities. And I just want to see a greater set of people be involved in that. I'm not there to exclude people. I just want, if that pie is going to grow, let's just bring new people into that room as well. So, you know, I've seen stats on boards, I've seen stats around venture capital. To be honest, I don't think there's any stat which I look at and I'm happy about. And frankly, if they're all moving in the positive direction, I'd be quite happy on. That's not to take away from people. But, you know, if the pie is going to grow, let's just have more people eating it. Fantastic. And on that note, that's all we've got time for for this edition of the UK TN podcast. Thanks, Ashley, for joining me. And thanks to everybody who's listening. Do remember you can keep up to date with all the latest UK tech developments at www.uktech.news. Don't forget to follow UKTN on LinkedIn and Twitter, where you can also find me at Jane Wakefield with your comments and suggestions about the show. Until next time, goodbye from me. This podcast is brought to you by HSBC Innovation Banking, the power behind the UK's forward thinkers, future makers and leap takers. They're helping to ignite the bold ideas that reshape our world. Go to www.hsbcinnovationbanking.com slash en dash GB to find out how innovation needs different. <laughs>